welcome to the Industry.Fashion's In Conversation podcast, where we invite you to tune in to the stories of some of fashion's most inspirational leaders. From the history of their careers to the current priorities for their businesses and advice for their fellow fashion friends, these conversations cover it all. The In Conversation series is staged in proud partnership with Klarna. Natasha Giesen-Smith is CEO of innovative women's hosiery and underwear brand Heist. Just as the pandemic hit in March 2020, Natasha joined the London-based business, which is famed for its sag-proof tights, innovative shapewear and comfortable yet flattering underwear. Heist is known for bringing high technology into its products, for its inclusive sizes and skin tones, and for embracing women of all ages. Natasha initially joined Heist as Chief Commercial Officer and was promoted to the top job last November. Prior to joining Heist, she had been the trading director at online fashion giant ASOS. Despite these two leadership roles at two of fashion's best-known disruptors, Natasha's career didn't start in fashion at all, but rather as an analyst and management consultant. She talks to me, Loretta Roberts, editor-in-chief of the industry.fashion, about her path into the fashion industry and how she sold all of her possessions to retrain and make it happen. She also explains why she left a job she loved at ASOS for a business a fraction of its size, tells us what it was like taking over a new job just as the world went into lockdown, how she worked from home with only an ironing board as a desk, and what her future plans are for this rather special brand. So Natasha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. I'm really keen to learn a bit more about Heist. I love this brand. So we were really thrilled when you agreed to take part. Now, you're clearly the CEO of the business. You, you You joined as COO. And became yep. CEO at the start of the year, is that right? But before we get to that, could you tell us a bit about your career pre-heist? Because it's very interesting. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, so um, I am Dutch and I was born and raised in the Netherlands. Um, I went to university there, did English uh, for my undergrad. And then sort of stumbled into management consulting, as I think most people do uh, stumble into management consulting. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, I found out I actually loved it. Um, so it really suited my sort of natural curiosity and, and uh, found it really interesting. Um, so did that for five years. And I looked ahead and thought, I, I like it. I like certain things about it. I like the steep learning curve. I like working with people. But I'm not sure that this is exactly where I want to be, especially since I worked in, I specialised in energy sector which was great, but not really sort of suited my sort of personality. And so um, someone at some point, I think at some sort of um, networking event at work, sort of said, uh, you should do an MBA. And I'd never even heard of it. And so I, I re- researched and thought, huh, that sounds really, that sounds really interesting. Um, I'd done part of my undergraduate degree in London. So I'd lived in London as a student for a year and was just very keen to come back uh, to, to London. And so, um, and so I, I made up my mind then and there. I said, I'll do an MBA and, and go to London Business School. And I did. Um, it ended up not being as easy as that. <laughs> Obviously, it's, you know, you have to go through the application process and it's yeah. competitive to get in. But, um, but I just said that I set my mind to it. So I did my MBA. Uh, and on day two of the MBA, when you start, they ask you, what do you want to do when you get out? Well, I literally went, I have no clue. Like, this is what a two-year program is about. Uh, but I said I, I have one ambition in life and that's never to wear a business suit again because I have just I had to sell pretty much everything I owned to pay for the MBA uh, and in, that included a large part of my wardrobe and uh, I, I don't ever want to buy suits again and she's like you know that that's not really a career ambition and I'm like well I'll refine it over the next two years that sounds, um, good. That sounds like a very laudable aim in life I, I'm, I'm pretty much the same 
a lot though to pay for this that shows such great commitment and yeah so my flats all everything i had all my furniture pretty much all my clothes like most of my clothing i because i was just i thought you know what this is i'm really gonna go for it and then i did and so um over the over the two years in the mba uh, i realized it's essentially according to career officers essentially three avenues banking and i thought no uh, that doesn't seem like me. The hours are very long and it seems, you know, from where I was sitting, it didn't really suit me. Too much spread eating. Um, then consulting, I'd done that. So I knew that I liked that, but I didn't want to do that again. And then what they call at the time, what they called at the time industry, which is everything else, which is also the majority of the world. Um, so I thought, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll head into that direction. And through a sort of a friend, I started doing a bit of freelancing for another friend who had a design agency. And, and before I knew it, I was really uh, sort of doing that whilst I was doing my degree on, on the side. And I loved the design world. I, I realized that that's really, you know, found it really interesting. And so I just decided to follow my bliss. And, and after graduation, I worked for design agencies and web agencies. Um, and I loved it so much, I actually went back to school uh, after a couple of years. I went to Central St. Martin's part-time to um, to do a design degree in the evening after work. Um, so I, I think I might be the first MBA from LBS that ever went then back to design school <laughs> sort of have yeah. both, both degrees. Got, um, the whole right brain, left brain thing going. Yeah. Yeah. When you, uh, MBAs tend to be very much about the answer is always in a spreadsheet. Not quite. This is overcharging it a little bit. But. I know what you mean. Yeah. Very quantitative focused. And I think there's a there's a really good uh, there's a really good grounding, right? You learn a lot of theory about strategy and about finance and, and, and also about managing human relations and marketing. And I really enjoyed that. But that's not the be all and end all. Right? The, the, it's it's how do you then create something that you can then turn into a business, right? The creation part, the how what happens at the start. I felt like that was what was missing in my MBA. And that was what design is all about, right? It's about creating something out of nothing. And so um, to be able to have both of those aspects, uh, both of those I found challenging in their own ways um, um, was, was just really fun. And so, um, and so I, around about the time I finished my design degree, I got headhunted to go to ASOS. So I'd done a lot of work for startups, various ilk and sort of done market entry and business plans and stuff. And, um, and they were looking for someone to do uh, market entry stuff. Uh, and so I, I ended up at ASOS. Um, wow. which uh, be, be frank I, I wasn't a customer at the time uh, and um, I remember the recruiter the headhunter saying oh it's a great you know it's a great package and it's a really great company and you'll get 40% of everything as the company discount but I thought but I said to him look I don't buy any of this stuff <laughs> I was like I'm not interested he's like that's the first person that's ever said that to me by so excited by this it's so funny but yeah it, there when you were there did you start buying it I hope yeah I mean absolutely yeah I mean, you can't you can't not with a catalog of 80,000 products there's always something that everyone wants so yeah no absolutely I, I got sucked into the vortex that's the the beauty of of, of the ASOS catalog um and so yeah I I, I ended up at ASOS and, and uh so ASOS when I I joined in 2014 so they had done their first international expansion sort of 2012 2013 where they went into like um uh, the US and Australia and Russia and some of the European countries. And then essentially my job was to figure out where's next, right? And and how do we go to which countries? And so we spent some time figuring that out and then making that happen. And so we did everything from very small stuff, like doing free returns in a bunch of European countries to really big stuff. We launched the Dutch site, the Swedish site, the Danish site, the Polish site. Um, and that was just, that was a blast. I mean, what a great company to work for. Oh, um, it is a great company. I 
I'm a big fan of it actually. Um, to try and get one of them onto the podcast, actually, now that you said that, get them to come and talk about it. But um, yeah, really, really amazing business, innovative business. What a great introduction into retail for you, though. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I learned so much, and you know, the group of people I was surrounded with was just great, uh, both in terms of like smarts, but also just. Uh, interesting and you know i just learned so much and i had a i had an absolute blast it's Um, interesting that business because quite i know to few people who have sort who who went into that business they're they're coming out now and they're going off and setting up their own things or doing something a bit interesting so yesterday wrote a story about david williams who was digital director who's seraphine he's about to float it so there's it's a bit of it's, it's turning into a bit of an academy of interesting people coming yes. out and doing other things and then there's you of course and you ended up going to heist which is a great what I mean, what what attracted you to that you know you went from a sort of big plc to what was essentially still i don't know if we can call it a startup heist when when was it started it was, so it was started in 2015 so yeah it's sort of on just growing out of being a startup, and that, and that, and that's also the reason why I why I joined, and, and why I think my skill set was was so um, fit so well the situation that that heist was in. So yeah, heist uh, heist approached me when I was still at ASOS, and it was just a long series of conversations. I wasn't ready at the time to leave, um, but it just became a really interesting set of conversations, and I'd um, been familiar with their tights and really liked them, so I knew that I really loved the product. And as I started thinking about, I'd been at ASOS for five years at this point, and I started thinking about look. So long as I've ever been with one employer, I think I've had a really great run here, but I want to go to something which is smaller where, you know, where you can be more nimble, where, you know, there's great things about ASOS. Everything that you do is big. Uh, every business case is big. Every decision is big. And that's awesome because you can impact so many people and so many, do so many things. But it also means that big decisions take a long time sometimes. And there's a big company it's grown from when I joined, it was about 1,200 people to when I left, it was about 4,500 people. Um and so it's it was just this different scale of magnitude. So I was looking for something that was sort of not an initial startup startup. I wanted something which had, you know, product market fit already, but that I could really then help to scale um, and scale around uh, operationally and, you know, expand geographically, look at products, all these things. And so Heist, just, um, I wanted something that I love the product and I would advocate for and that, you know, I can genuinely say, I wear and I love and that I can tell everyone about. And so Heist really fit that bill. And so uh, so it just became a really natural, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do this. Let's really fits you actually thinking about your education, your background, what you've just said, it's a really innovative company. It's very design led, isn't it? And obviously there's a, there's this need for it to grow and it's at that right stage now to grow geographically across product categories. That's what you do, right? So the headhunter did a good, there, right <laughs> well it's, it's all a plug for our internal team we we only do that internally and you know they the 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 the, the people team is is really has really a knack for finding great people like i can't put myself in that category but, but um but other people yeah absolutely so it, it it became the right what the company needed what i needed what i was interested in and so yeah i joined uh march 1st 2020 last year and then you became ceo the, yeah, December, just for Christmas, I think we, no, we made Christmas. Okay, so it was um, still 2020. Um, and Toby, who founded it, is remains as chairman. And you, yes. Um, your brief, it sounds then, is what is it? International expansion, product expansion. You did say when you joined, the innovation is going to keep coming. So 
Yeah, it's it's a sort of growing a company from a startup to a scale up, and that involves some stuff that sounds maybe a little bit boring, but it's absolutely super essential, right? Processes, uh, looking at the org structure again, looking at things like reporting, and you know these things sound a bit boring, but they're absolutely as you scale, they're so crucial. When you're a startup, you don't need a lot of that stuff, um, but when you're a scale up, you absolutely so it becomes a little bit. And it can be a little bit painful because all of a sudden you go from a lot more freewheeling to, no, we need a bit more sort of structure around this. So I did that. Um, and then it was around, because why do we need that structure? We need that structure to be able to scale into new product categories, into new geographies. Um, and so, yeah, so, that's, so we did the first sort of the behind the scenes work over the last year or so. Um, at the same time, as we started rolling out things like new product categories and um, let's yeah let's talk about it because um you mentioned there i mean uh, of course high started out um shaking up the hosiery market with, t- with its tights that didn't sag and bladder and held you in places a brilliant actually brilliant product but it has expanded so what's the business like at the moment what are your products what, what product categories you have at the moment yeah so the tights was the first and that was uh, the first two years that was the first category that we tackled and you're right we, we, the company really set out to sort of make a superior product right make a product that actually solved actual issues uh, and with that ethos they sort of looked around and thought where where else can we solve these where else can we solve problems and so the next category became shapewear again very much looking at what doesn't work for women right what makes it for instance uncomfortable what makes it not work and sort of applied those same principles and, and went into shapewear and um, that was 2018. Um, and then last year, May of 2020, we went into underwear. Again, applying the same principles is the what doesn't work about underwear and what can we make better using a combination of design and innovation and sustainability. Um, so we're now in these three, three categories. Um, we recently did a bit of an internal uh, rebranding project where we looked at how do we, what do we want to call this? Right? Underwear is not comprehensive enough. And so we we settled on the concept of foundation wear, which I, I really love because it's it's products that are the foundation of your wardrobe. It's what makes everything else work harder. Um, and they're often overlooked. It's often you will buy an expensive dress, but not think about what you wear, the tights that you wear with it. Which we, I remember going into a board meeting at, at ASOS where I had to present a, a specific uh, deck on some stuff. And this was before I knew Heist Tights. And I have, I put my best dress on because you go to the board of a, of a big company. Um, and I had fairly cheapy tights on. And that's not to rag on any other brand, but, you know, they were not they most were expensive not. and awesome. But, and I remember yeah. them rolling. I don't know, Women in the audience will know this feeling when they start rolling from your, and you can feel them roll down. And you can't, in the board meeting, you can't just go and oh. roll them up. But it's so distracting because you're like, I hope no one sees this. I hope no one notices. It's such a dent in your confidence. And yes. that, yeah, I think that it's that feeling that we're trying to set out to sort of go, no, we'll get, let's, let's stop doing that. Yeah, that sort of thing. It's just the number of times you, you sort of been rushing around town and you think, Oh God, I can feel these tights falling down. You're going to go find a public loo or a quiet corner yeah. somewhere and like, yank them up again because it's just, and it's just like, what is it? it yeah, the, I don't know what it is. It, like you say, it's probably just poor quality, whereas Heist is really technically innovative, isn't it? So everything you do should perform well. Exactly. And it's it's that sort of sentiment of it doesn't need to be crap. I mean, with a bit of thought, with a bit of innovation, with a bit of design and a combination of that, I make it sound really easy. It's actually hard working on the design team, but um, it doesn't. these products don't need to be a bad experience for the people who are wearing them. 
because shapewear is something I've got to be honest absolutely terrifies me um I occasionally buy it and then I put it on and I feel like I'm unable to breathe or it's just so uncomfortable it digs into you particularly when the weather's warm or whatever and then I think I just give up on it but yours is not like that <laughs> no exactly so it's got it's got uh, thousands of small perforations that let the air in so it's a lot more breathable it's also meant to sort of sculpt and smooth a little bit rather than super cinch you in this is not one of these like super <laughs> squeeze in you feel like your vital organs are basically squashed don't you it's just uh... exactly and that's what we don't that's not what we set out to do for us it's more a create the line under the dress that you want so you've got a form-fitting dress and you just you don't want anything to show you just want everything a smooth line that's what we set out to create so yeah it's a, it's a lot more comfortable to wear um people uh, we were actually quite surprised when people started reporting they wear it as outerwear and so we were like oh all right fine great so we called our body the outer body because that's yeah. how people wear it sometimes yeah, the body is a nice product isn't it i mean it is yeah. it's it's a simple looking product but it's actually chic and so it could easily be something that you just pop under a an open shirt or a jacket or you yeah. know, wear it as is which i can't imagine me me myself doing with any other shaper if i want to and so, no, no. <laughs> and so yeah. we've yeah it's it heist is very much about looking at these categories and thinking what doesn't work for women and it's often around comfort and around style there's often a sort of it can be sexy and uncomfortable or it can be utilitarian and comfortable somewhat it's sometimes fast fashion it's really poor quality you have to throw it out really quickly and we we sort of looked at that and went no we can we can do much better than this across all of these um we looked at um, lace and thought we what we wanted to do. So we have this is our third uh, underwear collection. So our first one is very much about sort of style and design and incorporating some of our shaper elements into that. The second one is more is our invisible range is more around wearing it every day and it being invisible. And we also have nude shades in that. Um, and then we wanted something which felt a little bit sort of special, but you could still wear every day. With, if we were heist, how would we do lace? Uh, and so our design team found this great recycled lace, um, which is not sort of ditty and floral, which some people love, and it's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just not how heist is. Um, and it's fully recycled and recyclable, um, which is also very you know a strong part of how we do things. Um, we like to make sure that with every new release that we do, it's as sustainable and, and recycled and recyclable as we can make it. We make products that last a long time, that are meant to last a long time. Um, and so, yeah, so we decided to take a bit of a punt. It was a bit of a, uh, be really honest, it was a bit of a departure for, for us, but um, it's done so well so far and customers are absolutely loving it. So that's really, it's really great to see. Now it's time to hear a bit more about our wonderful partners, Klarna. Klarna lets customers pay up to 30 days later or in three instalments at thousands of online stores such as ASOS, River Island, Michael Kors, Made.com and many more. Find out more at Klarna.com. One of the things that struck me, um, yeah, having followed your company from the start, which I have, is that, you know, you are innovative, you are agile, but it does seem to be there is a very, very intense process that goes behind, goes on behind the doors before you launch a product. And a lot of that is around surveying women and speaking to women around the world i'm thinking about the you know the project you did with your nude shades as well where you analyze the skin tones of you know, hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of women to get your 
new shades correct. I mean, can you just talk us through that process and why and how you engage women in the design process? Yeah, so first it's, it's it's using the combination of our own internal design resources. Right? We hire you know great people in the field that are great designers and, and really think about this. But they also need that sort of interaction with customers, right? We are very much doing things with our customers, not to our customers, which is I think what you see happen a lot um, uh, in the in the industry. And and we don't want that. We 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 work with our customers, and so we're very lucky in that we have a very loyal and very engaged and active base who email us and contact us on social media and talk about everything and anything, right? The products they currently have at the work, uh, the colors they would like to see, other products that they'd like us to do. We did a survey a couple of months ago in like, would you like, like where, which products are you interested in? And the list is just endless. And also <laughs> like a lot of things that we like, that, that would be years worth of new products if, if we chose to do all of them. And so, yeah, the, the new project is, is a great, uh, uh, is a great instance of this. This, this happened in uh, 2017, if my memory serves me right. Um, and this was before, uh, this is now in vogue to, to do this. This was before all of that happened. We had decided we're quite a diverse team internally. And we had decided that nudes just weren't good enough because they came in the prevailing nude shade, but, but that's only one. And there's shades of nude. Um, and so, yeah, we decided to collect just a whole bunch of data, then extrapolate out and say, you know, what's the minimum level of colors that we can get that will cover about 90% to 95% of these shades across the spectrum. Um, and then open source that. So anyone can use that information, contact us and, and we'll, we'll be happy to share it. And so we 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 put us through our portfolio. So we started with tights uh, and now we have that in our invisible underwear as well. Um to be able to to match those shades, and so yeah, this is this is something that we're hugely passionate about, and that we can see that our customers also absolutely love. You, you mentioned there, and I think you're right. You did that project, and it was before, like you said, it's in vogue now. People are just thinking, yeah, we we need to get onto this. But you you've kind of already you already done it. You'd seen it early, which is really pleasing, and I think that um, must go down well with your customers, and I'm sure it does. It isn't just a question of um, diversity in terms of skin tone your advertising and your imagery you've got women of all ages you've got women of all shapes and sizes the imagery is yep. beautiful really you're really early onto all of that um weren't you yeah and i think that's very much driven by the team internally as well we looked around and you know we are diverse you know across the age spectrum across the size spectrum across uh across the, the the racial ethnicity spectrum and so we we wanted to see ourselves in a sense like it's we're solving problems for ourselves and so we also wanted to see ourselves um and so we we decided fairly early on that this is who we are and this is how we want to be in in the world um and again working with who we are and who our customers are rather than doing something to them um and i think that for us is such a key thing in how we design how we how we engage with our customers and, and not customers with the wider world um, is that um, we we want to see us represented. Yeah, I think that's that's such a good phrase, not doing something to your customers. I've spoken to a number of entrepreneurs about that. And the most successful ones say, you know, we work out what they want and how they want us to behave. We don't yep. do it the other way around. You know, it suits us that you behave like this. So we're going to give you this. It doesn't work that way anymore. Um, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you said there that 
you've got a whole long list of requests from your customers about what they'd like to see from you. You don't have to tell me because I know some of this stuff is sensitive. <laughs> what what is in the pipeline? What next? You know, we've got great um, tights, we've got great shapewear and underwear. It seems to me you've got lots of opportunity in areas like maybe active wear or swimwear or whatever. What, is that the sort of thing you're looking at? Well, I think for the for the imminent futures, uh, we'll we'll continue with the categories that we have because I think there's a lot more that we can do. So I want us to be wider and deeper within those. Um, in terms of, I think I think yeah, we haven't exhausted. Uh, you know, some of the requests we get a lot are for things like uh, maternity wear, um, uh, period underpants. So these are the requests that we got in in, in, in when we did our uh, our survey in spring. And I think when we had internal discussions about those, for instance, it's really interesting that at the moment, if you want to wear a maternity bra, you go to a section that's called maternity bras, and it makes you feel a little bit weird and other. I remember this from when I had my my kids. I wore them, and then I never wore them again. And, you know, A, that's not good for the environment, because, you know, it's it's not single use, but you you throw them away after you're done with them shouldn't be the case and it also feels weird that all of a sudden i'm now shopping in the other section it's like i'm still i'm still who i was before yeah and so i think that's something that we've been really interested in and 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 so just lifting the veil a little bit that's definitely an area that will incorporate uh into our main uh into our main collections where why if you want a maternity bra should you go somewhere off in a corner it can just be part of and also can be designed it so that you don't it's not something that you then have to throw away it's something that you can keep on using if you want it afterwards and so it's these it's these areas that i think within within our current existing product categories there's a lot of innovation that we can do um and that we've got in the pipeline yeah you're right actually there is there is there are many many places you could go and i think it's quite sensible to make sure you crack your category before you perhaps go wandering off into other areas but um i'm pleased to hear that about maternity it's too late for me i've had my children i'm not going to have any more but um the thing that drove me nuts and i would say it to a lot of lingerie uh brands at the time when i was feeding and needed maternity wears they never did the matching sets and i'm one of those slightly obsessive people that even if i'm not going anywhere i particular i still have to it has to match and you could never get they just sort of made some bras and put them on a sad rail in a department store. And it's like, where's the bottoms? It's like, no, no, and it drove me mad. Nobody ever seemed to think that when you were pregnant or nursing, you wanted to sort of, I don't know. Look your- well, and that's exactly that for me feels just very othering. It's like you're not an other person just because you're breastfeeding. If you liked this before, you will like it then, right? And And this is... This is something that we are very passionate about. And so, um, yeah, we're currently looking at, could we incorporate it in our sheer collection, for instance, or in our invisible collection, so that you can have matching uh, sets if you choose to have them. Suddenly people who make maternity wear think you you all want to just wear purple stretch jersey or something or ruffles or floral. It's like, I never wore that before. Why would I wear it now? It's quite bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> How they think you suddenly become a different person. It's like, no I'm still me so more power to your elbow and I hope that you I hope that you're successful in that if you do choose to enter it but what are the best sellers now what what does really well for you now so it depends a little bit on the time of year obviously because in the winter our tights are, are, are the hot ticket so around although I have to say the new tights work year-round uh, um, which is great to see um, and then 
across all the shades, which is also great to see. Um, and then, you know, bestsellers like the 50s. We've got a very loyal audience for our limited edition color title we do every autumn. There's a, there seems to be like a really hardcore group of people that absolutely love them. And we get requests year round going, can you do these, can you do these? Which is great. Um, and then uh, in the Shaper this year, um, the highlight shorts uh is is absolutely flying off the shelf very much in fashion like people are wearing that as outerwear is what we're seeing and hearing cycling short is a fashion item at the moment isn't it exactly so we definitely see that in our interesting yeah and then uh and then our sheer collection so the sheer bralette in particular so that's that's absolutely our hero product it's the first one we came out with when we went into underwear and that's still by far a bestseller so last year the first six to nine months we we couldn't keep them in stock we just (laughs) <laughs> there was also in part the supply chain was somewhat compromised because of covid um so it was a struggle to find you know find the, the right fabric and enough of it and get it at the right time just because every, every the whole supply like many people in the, in the industry will have suffered from this but then even when we could it just became like there was such a demand for it we were really taken aback by so yeah for the first six months for sure we were nine months up to christmas we could, we could hardly keep them in stock so that's and that's still our bestseller you mentioned COVID. I was going to mention it. Um, we chat- <laughs> we'll have to talk about it because you know it's it's uh, it's an important topic. You, we yeah. talked about it a little before we pressed record, didn't we? But I'm, I'll yeah. ask you now. Um, I would imagine that yours was the, one of those products, and I know that there will have been challenges with supply. I get that, but yours was one of those products that demand remained quite robust for, or or you managed to get new customers for because it is it fits into that category of comfort. Quite frankly, if anyone's like me, they would have put on about sixteen pounds during COVID, and a bit of shapewear might not go <laughs> down too badly. What was demand like? I mean, did you, did you find that people were more receptive? Uh, yes and, and no. Uh, as in, so, so some of our categories were definitely heavily affected, affected during, especially lockdowns. Um, so tights and tights and shaper are stuff that people wear mostly outside of the home when they see other people and so that was uh, that was hard for a while that said um we know that for instance lots of teachers and, and nhs workers wear our tights and so we did see actually a really good current of demand still happening um over even during the worst of the lockdown periods um and so that was really good to see underwear remains remains good because I generalize, and maybe this is not true, but most people wear underwear most days, even in COVID, even when you're home and you're not going out. I would hope so. I certainly did. And there was certainly this people talking on social media and whatever about not wearing a bra. And I I just literally was wide-eyed in horror at that, but maybe, maybe they didn't. well, and, and so we chose so we chose to come out with bralettes first and it's it, it sort of beyond like we didn't want to go with structured bras uh, because of COVID. So we decided let's go bralettes first. And I think that's been the real that's why yeah, they've yeah. done so well. I'm down with that as a solution. You know, you know, wireless because because you know, wearing a structured underwire bra, I get why people wouldn't want to do that. But nothing at all was just mind-boggling to me but I can see why the bralettes would have been done really well so yeah so so we saw some some impact but it was very mixed uh, across those sort of categories what was it like for you though because you you became CEO at the height of the misery I think really because we, we closed at that lockdown from Christmas to April personally speaking and I think I think for the industry was just miserable i mean it rained non-stop we didn't get 
visibility for quite some time about when we might be allowed to reopen our stores get some freedoms back I mean what was that like trying to be a boss at that point well I think throughout it's been really interesting so I joined Heist March 1st 2020 um yeah so it's yeah. been it was either the best of times or the worst of times depending on how you look I'm probably a little bit both. so I I uh, you know got to meet all my team and then two weeks later I said I had to send everyone home for working from home which at the time we thought was going to be a month because no, none of us knew right um and then I didn't see them for 12 months. Um, so, so that was so that was quite, a, it's a, quite odd. Uh, so I I joined, had to learn the business. And obviously, you know, that you find your feet and sort of get to know everyone, get to know the data, get to know the products. Um, and I was doing that whilst the worst of COVID st- started happening and lockdowns and everyone was panicking. And to top things off on a personal note, uh, we had just started the renovation of our house in January. Uh, as we were right in the middle of that, we lived in a small two-bedroom flat. Um, and for the first three months when I was at Heist, my office was my ironing board um, and I sat on my bed because I couldn't find it by a desk anywhere because no one was delivering. And we were, had planned to work from home because we didn't know this was happening when we moved out of our house. And so for the first three months, um, both me and my husband worked on the, on the ironing board and took shifts because my kids were at home. So we worked pretty much nonstop or took care of the kids. So, yeah, I mean, on a professional level, it was hard because you're trying to get to learn this business and then all of a sudden this happens and we our supply chain was compromised as everyone's was um everyone was panicking looking around thinking what's going to happen we don't know uh we tried to launch these products and we can't shoot anything on models and so yeah all of these channel challenges became were and then everyone's working from home so you can't even call a quick meeting so everything had to be done over sort of zoom and google meet and and so, yeah, that was in, uh, very challenging. Autumn then became easier because we all thought things were going to be better. Supply chain started regulating a little bit. We could shoot some products on models. Yeah, and then the, the renewed lockdown again. Yeah, that was, just, I think it was hard for us as a nation, as, as a world. It's hard for us as a business as well. Luckily, we, we had learned quite a few valuable lessons. So the supply chain stuff was a lot easier, this, that lockdown. Um, shooting product was a lot easier because we knew how to do it now. Um, and so it was it was definitely easier in that sense. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a turbulent 15 months or so. It's not been easy on on any level. Gosh, let's hope that when things are fully lifted, which we hope they will be in July, that that's it. You know, but you just don't know, do you? But, it's, you know, you obviously don't have retail. So you're a direct consumer business, aren't you? So. Yes, and wholesale. So we sell through some wholesalers as well. Yeah. Where are you wholesaling through? So we're uh, Net Supporter and Matches online, uh, Selfridges, Selfridges, Harrods, um, and then Next, and then a few more doors in Europe, which are mixed. And so it's been a mixed bag, to be really honest, over the last year. Um, those with, with high street presences, big high street presences, have obviously found it hard when there's no footfall. Online, it's been a lot more resilient and it's done really well for us. And so it's, yeah, it's been an interesting time too. So we ventured into wholesale at the back end of 2019. So we had just, you know, started doing that when when COVID hit. We were in our third, third or fourth month. And so that's that's been interesting. It's been interesting. It's been an interesting ride. But yeah, so the predominantly we're still D2C at the moment. Predominantly D2C. It's interesting though, wholesale, um, because I was browsing your matches actually on that site. You've got a mix there, haven't you? You've got the luxury side of it, so with matches and net, for example, and then you're in more mainstream as well. It speaks a lot for your brand that you can straddle that. You can straddle a luxury consumer and uh, a more mainstream consumer. It's quite smart. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly the position that we want to be in. Right, we're, we're sort of the very high, the very upper end of of mass market, uh, and in sort of is there a lower end of the luxury market? What's sort of the entry level market? Accessible luxury, I believe we call it, Natasha. Exactly, and that's and that's I think the really natural position for for where the quality of the product is, where the price point is, and where our customers go as well. Frankly, yeah, 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 yeah. and I think that's it's the it's the quality that for the that luxury customer that they're happy with, you know. Um, so that's very good. Are you planning, is that from a distribution perspective, where do you see the growth? Are you planning to remain DTC wholesale or dare I say it, are you thinking about some form of physical presence? There might be some, I understand, some cheap rents going on. I mean, we were talking about 314 Oxford Street before we press record. I, re- I realise that might be too large for you. Yeah, that might be one step too far right now. <laughs> but, you know, one can dream. We can dream one day. I mean, you'd have to perhaps, you know, expand your product line somewhat before you took that one on. But, uh, you know, have you thought about that? Not that shop, others, smaller. Yeah, I mean, definitely. But I think I I want to focus the next 12 to 18 months on what, we, what we're doing now and just doing much more of it. So I think within our within our existing categories, we still need to create width and depth more than what we have now. Um Within our wholesale, I think we've we've it, they've mostly been inbound. If I'm you know really truthful, which is great, um, but we haven't really gone out and and uh, and really knocked on doors uh, actively. And so that's something I think I really want to explore as well before we then go and add another channel to it. I think I'm absolutely in awe of people who have physical stores. I think that's a skill set that's uh, very specialized, and it's a wonderful thing to be doing. But it also adds a lot of uh, you know, a lot of costs to a business where I just don't think we're ready for that yet. But I'm absolutely not ruling it out. You know, tw- like ask me again, ask me again in 12 to 18 months time. You know, hopefully be busy making plans. <laughs> we'll get, as I said, we'll get you back on and you can let us know how you're getting on. Um, but it sounds like, you know, it just sounds like there's exciting times ahead and there's so much more you can do and your customers want you to do it, which is really nice. Um, one thing I want to ask you about those is your customers. How do you get them? Where do you find them? What, what devices do you use to attract and retain them? I mean, this sounds really, really trite, but pretty much everything. And then what we see is we get really strong referrals. So it's it's both the category, right? You tend to trust people that you know if they say this is a good pair of tights, this is a good pair of underwear. This is such an intimate category and you really want it to work. Also, the price point where we're at, if your friend says, I know the 24 quid these tights, but you're not going to have to buy another pair the whole winter. You'll be good. People trust that. So referrals is such a strong, and advocacy is such a strong um, sort of new customer tool for us. And also a retention tool. Um, people feel invested in the brand, right? We have such a loyal and strong customer base. It's, it's, it's super gratifying to see. Um, I mean, and then across the marketing spectrum, right? We do we do above the line. We do digital advertising. PR works really well for us. Uh, we find historically... Um, and now as well, and so it's it's a it's a lot of all of these things mixed mixed in together really. Um, but yeah, I'm super. I'm always super amazed to see how much our current customers love us and recommend us and go out of their way to sort of. We see we hear it all the time where people say, "Oh, my best friend said I should really buy this," or "My best friend bought me the sheer bralette, and now I'm going to buy the other two colors." Or that's <laughs> yeah, so we hear great that a lot. because actually, um, I think we respond more as consumers to 
to, to what our friends and family tell us or our colleagues or whatever, people we know, than we do to what might maybe an influencer we don't know tell us. I mean, we generally, it's more effective than influence. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, and it's also such an intimate category, right? It's like, it's the stuff that it's, and I I, I think I'm, I'm not speaking out of turn here, but pretty much all women, regardless of whether you're a supermodel or regular person like me, um, we all have hang-ups about our bodies. We all think there's something perceived wrong with with something. My thighs are too big. My breasts are too small, too big, too uneven, too something. There's always something. And I think that's where that personal recommendation comes in. Because you talk about it with your friends, right? It's like, it's something, but it's a hard thing to talk about in public and I think that's where that's where that real connection comes in and that's such a lovely thing for us to see as well um we hear this all the time and it's so nice to hear that customers feel so passionate about it and that we're doing all these things right it's great and it's like you said at the start you know you've got to get your foundations right yeah (laughs) exactly Everything else was better that day. Right? <laughs> One of the things I learned in my home renovation is that make sure your foundations are, are proper. Um, and then everything else that you build on top of, of that works works a lot harder. And equally with your business, you know, like you say, you've been uh, working on the foundations of the business, getting the structure in place. And then, you know, everything on top of that will come good as a, yeah. as a result. You know. um, Natasha, I have loved talking to you. It's been fantastic. It's been really interesting. I appreciate you taking the time. I'm pleased to see um, I'm getting a little insight into your home working environment at the moment. You appear to have a proper office chair and you're in a desk. You're not um, crouched yeah, long, over board. Yeah. Long gone <laughs> is the ironing board and my bed is as a chair. Yeah, luckily. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking they will be sending like the health and safety, you know, around <laughs> We've d- deeply unimpressed with your situation, I think. Um, so I'm pleased to see you have a comfortable office chair and that the business is going well and there's more to come because it's a, a truly great brand and I've, I've loved following the story and I shall continue to do so and we're going to get you back because you can come and tell us how you've been getting stores. on <laughs> and new products <laughs> thanks so much Natasha you're very welcome we hope you enjoyed listening to the in conversation podcast If ever you want to be there in person, visit our website at theindustry.fashion and sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know about future events. You will also be kept up to date with breaking news, in-depth features and our data-led consumer studies. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to our partners, Klarna. Keep an eye on the website, subscribe, sign up, do whatever it is you do to be sure not to miss the next episode.